bless you. Good to see you guys. Folks, we're starting a new series on the book of Colossians for the next six weeks. Um, we're starting it this week. Actually, next week, uh, Rodell and Mylin Prado from Cuba are going to be here. They'll be sharing. And then for the next few weeks, we'll be finishing Colossians. Then we hit Advent, and it's almost Christmas. So that's the rest of the year for you. Good to go. No, we're going to jump into Colossians. This is a great, uh, a great book for us. Let me give you a little bit of background before I read our, our, session, our, our first section here. Paul, uh, Paul's a prisoner when he wrote this letter. Him and Epaphras, his friends, they're both uh, likely in prison. Paul is for sure. Epaphras had founded the Colossian church. This isn't a church that Paul had been to himself. Um, but the two of them hear of some problems. There's some troublemakers going on in the church, doing some stuff. Imagine that. There's people in the church causing some issues. This happens. No church is perfect. So Paul takes the occasion, he writes a letter. And, and you got to remember, these letters, these wouldn't be read sort of on your own, you know, just kind of the lead pastor reading this kind of off in his office somewhere. These would be read aloud to the whole congregation. And they often be circulated so they go from, you know, this church to the next church in the city over and that sort of thing. So they're read publicly. Now, false teaching has sprung up, as a little bit of background for you, and probably the most dangerous false teaching of all, which is when you start to dethrone Christ. You start to, you start to make Christ uh, not sort of the sole reason for salvation, but just sort of a good thing along the way. When you do that, things go really sideways really quickly. So there's a, there's a sense here that there's these troublemakers in the church. It's a young church, so they're just getting started. And Epaphras, who helped found the church, he's in jail. So they don't really have a main leader anymore. And now you've got these people come up and just start doing some wacky stuff. And the idea was, Christ is sort of only just the beginning. But if you want to get really mature, you got to get kind of past Christ into the really good stuff. This was what they were teaching. And the really good stuff was if you had sort of really visible religious observances. So they talk a little bit about things like um, sort of asceticism. Do you know what that word means? Sort of self-denial. Uh, you know, if you do this certain thing and you kind of stand just so, you'll have a really ecstatic experience. You have this really spiritual experience, and that's the big thing. That's what you want. You need to have these experiences. And if you, if you have really good experiences, these ecstatic experiences, there's a sense also they were probably teaching them they could communicate with angels and they could kind of do some interesting spiritual manipulation stuff. If you get that stuff going just right, then you're really in. Then you're an insider. And if you're an insider, you can tell everyone else whether they're in or not. You can tell everyone else who qualifies or doesn't qualify. This happens, doesn't it? When you, there's, a, there's a propensity for a sort of spiritual elitism that there's those in the church who can sometimes say, well, we're better than the rest of you. And now I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you why you're not as good. This sort of thing. This is what's happening here in this church. Folks, unhealthy doctrines will always produce unhealthy living. This is why theology really matters. And here in Colossae, we've got false teachers that are they're dethroning and they're sidestepping Jesus. And they're trying to blend, blend something else in with Christianity. And we're kind of faced with the same tendency today, I think. We live at a time where it's okay to kind of blend this idea or that belief, and we'll just kind of like 
build it, build my own kind of spirituality. I'm just going to kind of manufacture my own, my own little private religion over here. Uh, kind of like that idea, like that idea. We'll kind of get this thing going over here. And you can have your truth, and I'll have mine. And that's fine, as long as you don't offend me along the way. This is my truth over here. You can't tell me, you can't tell me otherwise. We live in an age where religious toleration essentially means every religion's about the same, and is about as good as the next one. And you have a sense of this here in Colossians also, a sort of blending, blending religions together, blending religious ideas together. I have my own beliefs, I'm true to myself, that's all that really matters, right? And I can attain fulfillment and purpose in life, I'll follow my heart. It's the most important thing I can do. And even if things don't go well, I'll have a lot of fun along the way. So for many people in our world today, and for the, for the Colossian church here, there's an idea that Jesus Christ is only one of several great kind of religious teachers. Right? He has no more authority than, than Buddha or Muhammad or whoever. So he's, he might be prominent, but he's not preeminent. Folks, this is why Eastern religions are really attractive. This is why New Age has taken off so much. It's because in our Western society, we prize efficiency, productivity, greed, power, and we love to think that we can kind of customize our own experience and have a lot of friends along the way. When you get here in in a New Age sort of religion, you get the idea of sort of a self-serve Christianity or a self-serve spirituality. We're so about instant gratification, right? So when you get something that comes along that's, yeah, I can, I can take that and live that a little bit. I'll just kind of plug it in here to my life. This is perfect. I can kind of customize my own kind of religious experience. And that, that fits really well in a, in a world that tells me just to be really productive and work all the time and keep everything going. It's good that I can kind of hide over here and, and you know, kind of build my own little sense of, of my own spiritual life. Folks, that, that kind of process is so, so deceptive. And it's so easy for us to lose our way and get really hurt in the process and hurt other people in the process. Our hearts are really slippery. And all of that, that's sort of trying to build our own, our own kind of religious idea, our own sense of, of what fits into my life and what doesn't, I think all of that points to a deep, deep longing to be valued and to be loved and to be accepted. You know what I mean? So it's just this longing to have some kind of connection, some kind of spiritual experience that kind of goes beyond my mundane, my mundane life. And Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he's reminding us of this, that Christ will satisfy all of the, all of the longings of our hearts to be found and to be loved and, and to come home. You don't need to kind of build or manufacture your own sense of religious identity. All you really need is Jesus. So, so Paul is working to kind of reground them in what it means to be mature. True maturity is, is, to, is to stay grounded in Jesus and his gospel. Jesus isn't the starting point, and then you kind of mature into this other kind of thing. Jesus is always the beginning and the end. So that's, that's what Paul does. He's absolutely, Jesus is absolutely sufficient for your salvation and your hope and your life today. 
absolutely sufficient. He's all you need. And no ideal or, or philosophy needs to be kind of built in with him. He's sufficient all on his own. That's Paul's, that's Paul's central message. So he calls them back to Jesus, and he does this. First he announces grace to them. Then he proclaims his thankfulness for them. And then he prays for them. So let me read you with kind of that background in mind of what kind of Paul's purpose is in writing. Let me read you Colossians 1. We'll read the first 14 verses here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So that's the, that's the announcement of grace to them. This is, this is how you start a letter. You know, we have formal kind of startings in our letters, right? You always say, dear so-and-so, or to whom it may concern, colon, right? Same kind of thing here. This is how you write a letter in ancient Near East. You say who you are, you say who you're with, to these people, and you announce something, and the early church always was saying, grace to you and peace, which is really great, but that's the first thing that comes off their lips, grace and peace. Where does he go? He starts giving thanks. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's now bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. So that's the thankfulness bit, and then he prays for them. And this is the part I really want to focus on this morning, starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray, folks. Uh, Father, we ask that you open our hearts to hear and receive your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Notice, as I, as I mentioned, right off the bat, what Paul does in verse, verses 1 and 2. He starts off, Remember, he's never, he's never been to this church, right? He's never met these people. So he kind of needs to establish himself and kind of say, look at I have some authority here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Right? So right at the outset, he cites his apostolic calling and the office. This, this, is, gonna, this, is, like, this is like uh, someone like a president or someone who would say, you know, so-and-so, prime minister of Canada, or... You know, when, if once in a while, if I have to, I would say, you know, Pastor Nicholas Avoyo, lead pastor, blah, 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 cite a bunch of stuff. Here's stuff I've done, you know, blah, blah, blah. pay attention. That's kind of what Paul does here. 
right? I'm an apostle. The Lord's made me an apostle. So this lends an authority. And then what does he say? Grace to you. Right at the outset, we're reminded of grace. That, folks, we, we don't make ourselves. In all this sort of searching for, for religious truth and, and a sense of fulfillment, we need to be reminded that man is not what we, man is not what he himself has made, but what God has made him. There's no such thing as being a self-made man or a self-made woman. There's only men and women that God is making. So Paul kind of dashes any sense of, of spiritual elitism or, or, man, I'm more mature than the next person because I did this, this, and this. He says, no, no, you are made by grace. That's your calling. That's your sure footing. That's where we start. There's only people that allow God to make them by his grace and those that are refusing to allow God to remake them by his grace. That's it. No other kind of levels, no other kind of system. So he starts with grace. Whatever else, folks, that you get into the sermon, know this, that to be a Christian is to be one who has received and knows the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ for you. That's what it means to be a Christian, to receive his grace by faith and to be forgiven. That's it. It's Christ's grace that makes us. We don't make ourselves. And in this age of kind of blending religious ideas together, we need to hear this. God's grace is sufficient. That's it. And so Paul drives the point home in his prayer. Remember I said that's where I want to focus. There's three great big verbs that God does for us in verses 12 to 14. So that's where I want to head. If you've got your Bibles open, I'm going to reread this passage again. Verses 12 to 14 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Three great big verbs, qualified, delivered, and transferred. This is what the grace of God does for you. So if you're a Christian this morning, I want to remind you of what God has done for you. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to hear what God wants to do for you through Christ. All right? If you're a Christian and, and you've just felt kind of waffling lately, like, oh man, man, folks, assurance is so important. It's really important that we feel assured of our salvation. This is meant to assure us. And if you're, if you're here just kind of asking questions, saying, I don't really know what this is all about, hear what, hear what God wants to do through Jesus for you. All right? Three big verbs. Qualified. What are they? Delivered and transferred. Qualified. God has qualified you. That word means to make you sufficient, or to render you fit, or to enable you. Maybe I'll put it this way. God has rendered you fit to share in his inheritance. You do not, on your own, qualify. You don't qualify. You can't achieve this on your own. You try, you would fail. Living a good life does not qualify you. But thanks be to God, the Father himself has qualified you. You don't need to drum this up. You don't work for it. God himself looks upon you, says you're worth the cross to me. 
I will die for you because I want to qualify you for salvation. You're worth it to me. All of your mess and all of your stuff, it doesn't matter. I would die for you because I love you that much. I want to qualify you. God has rendered you fit. He wants to enable you to share in his inheritance. Now, we've had some deaths in our family over the years, and um, there's always the reading of the will, you know? There's always making sure the wills, was there a will, you know? <laughs> Who's getting what? What's the inheritance, right? Who's, who, what's been allotted to whom? And usually this is the one who's died, right? Allots the things, has previously allotted who gets what. Well, here in God, he has allotted as an inheritance upon his death, your salvation. That when he died, you became qualified to receive a new inheritance, an inheritance of life and forgiveness and restoration through Christ. God has qualified you. That is really reassuring. Because a lot of times I can start to think, man, I'm not doing well. Clearly, I don't deserve this anymore. I don't deserve my salvation. Why does God even care about me? Thankfully, it's not based on my performance. So there's no, there's no hint here of, you were good enough, therefore you then qualify. No, no. No, no. God himself has qualified you. He has rendered you fit. Not yourself. He has rendered you fit for salvation. That's the first big verb. Second big verb. God has delivered you. It's kind of like thinking about your sin as a disease. I think sometimes we think of sin as sort of bad things I do. That's true. There are sins. But sin is a state. It's a condition. You are terminal. I've said it before. It's like cancer. It's not just stuff you do. It's a, it's a state of being that you're in. And the language here is one of living in a realm of darkness or death. The idea is, folks, you need rescue. Not only do you need to get qualified, but you need rescue. God himself will qualify you for salvation, but he will also deliver you into salvation life. And the Greek word here for, for this delivering, it kind of has the sense of being drawn to himself. Almost like he wants to deliver you from the power of darkness by sort of wooing you back to himself, drawing you back to himself. It's this great kind of rushing current imagery. It's just pulling you back to himself. I think for a moment, perhaps, of the Israelites at the Red Sea, by the hand of God, they're being drawn back to himself out of the domain of Egypt, right? Through the sea. It's the same kind of thing for us. God the Father wants to lovingly draw you to himself. He, he wants to kind of pull you to himself. I, I, get, I get a great sense of this every time I come home. And now my little boy, Rowan, who can run now, he kind of comes running for me, and I get to kind of draw him into my arms, right? I get to kind of pull him up into my, up into my arms and up into my lap. There's no better place in the world than that. That is just, that is awesome. Folks, that's what God the Father wants for you. He wants to, he wants to draw you up off the floor and up into his lap and up into his arms. 
is to deliver you out of this place of darkness into this place of light and life and hope. That's the idea here. That's what, that's what God wants to do for you. He's our deliverer. So God has qualified you. God's delivered you, but, but also he's transferred you. And for all Christians, the greatest possible exchange has occurred. You were once in darkness, now you are in light. God has, God has removed you or sort of transplanted or transposed you. He's brought you out of this place, and he wants to put you over here. And the sense, the sense too, in, in the Greek is, is there's a limited, it's not sort of the domain of darkness and the equally powerful domain of light. It's not a yin-yang thing. It's, there's a limited power over here that is dark under the dominion of the enemy, but it's very limited. But over here you have the royal and full and true kingdom of Jesus Christ that just completely trumps this other one. Like, it's not even a thing, hardly at all. It's like, oh my gosh, these are not comparable. God wants to transfer you from this place and bring you over here and establish you over here in the kingdom of Christ. And look at how he ends this. Look at verse 14. The kingdom of his beloved son, in whom, what? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, I think some of us today maybe need a fresh revelation of what God's, God's heart is for us. This is God's heart for us. He died to have this sort of relationship with you. That in Jesus, you can, you can qualify. Where you felt disqualified, you now qualify. Where you felt kind of lost in life, you've been delivered. Where you felt like you were kind of rooted in a place in the darkness of your sin, God wants to transfer you from this place over to this place into the kingdom of Christ in whom you have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And that's the cracker. That's the whole point. Forgiveness of sins. So that's, that's the three big verbs, hey? what? A, this is a gift. God qualifies you. He delivers you. And he transfers you. There's no sense here of going back. There's no sort of, you know, if you meet the right requirements kind of thing. Or there's an expiry date on this. No, no. This is done. This is finished. You only need to receive it. And, And because of this, this is the good beginning, says Paul. God now calls you into into an adventure, into a journey with with him. Where we learn to confess our sins and walk with him and start living a new life with him. And that, I think, is really important because Paul also talks about how we respond to Christ. So God has done this great work. He's qualified us, he's delivered us, he's transferred us. But we also do something in response. Not to earn it. But because of this great gift that God's given us, we, we need to walk it out somehow. Do you know what I mean? It's like if I was given a bicycle for a birthday gift, I would then want to ride the bicycle. I would then want to begin to participate in the gift that I've been given. Well, here we've been given salvation, given this amazing work by Christ. Now we're called to live and walk it out. Makes sense, right? So how do we walk it out? Look back up to verse 9. Paul says, 
because of the faithfulness of Christ who qualifies and delivers and transfers you, I want you to be filled with all the knowledge of his will. I want you to understand what that really means deep down in your bones. I want you to get it, what your salvation is. So that, verse 10, you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Or live a life, if you're in the NIV, live a life worthy of the Lord. ESV and King James are walk in a manner worthy, but it's the same sort of idea. Start living in response to this great salvation that God has given you. It's a journey. It's a walk. Walk means there's going to be ups and downs, folks. Walk means there's going to be some kind of journey, some kind of progress along the way, but it's not always going to be pretty. If he said, okay, God has done all this great work, so now you may sit and rest in a manner worthy of the Lord. No, he says you've got to walk. There's a journey here. There's a Christian life to live. This is why, you know, you get great books like Pilgrim's Progress. The idea is we are pilgrims on the road. This is why so many of of our great adventure stories are pilgrim narratives where you're walking on the, on the road and you encounter stuff along the way. But there's, there's rest and reward and joy at the end of it all. Do you know what I mean? Jesus' invitation is, is to follow me. He says, follow me. There's going to be a journey here I'm inviting you into. So Paul says, okay, in light, of, in light of God's qualifying and delivering and transferring of you into redemption and forgiveness, what God has done, live like this. Start walking. Start walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk, walk for him and in him in every area of our lives. But don't just walk. What's the other thing he says? Bear fruit. Verse 10. Christian life is not just a walk. It's, it's the sense of growing, ongoing maturity, like a tree. We've got a tree at mom and dad's place in the front of white pine that I planted when I was 11. My great-grandma It's just little. And she had, her, she had her four-pronged cane out there. We were out planting a tree. You know, here we go. And we, I was with Dad also. It was the three of us. And we dug a little hole. And I remember planting this little white pine. It was about this big. And Grand said, how old are you? I said, I'm 11. She said, 11. Good. And we just kind of, it was like, it was like we recognized the time. You are 11. Now when I look at that tree, it's, it's quite big. You know, it's taller than the house. When you look out the bay window now, it's kind of dominates the whole the whole scene. And I go, man, I remember planting that tree. This is neat for me because I'm still kind of young. You know, I haven't seen trees grow that much. But we're like, oh, man, that tree's growing. I planted that tree. I've seen it grow. It's the same kind of idea here. Paul says, don't just walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, but start to bear fruit. Start to become this mature tree that's growing every year, that's increasing in its fruit-bearing capacity every year. That year after year, as you look back on your life as a Christian, you should see a sense of growth. Not that you're sort of, you know, oh, I'm really something. You know, oh, I made it this far this year. Ha ha. You know, I'm really good. Oh, so-and-so's better. Oh, you know, now we'll just compete with them. No, it's not like that. But there's a sense of ongoing maturity, of bearing fruit over the years, right? And becoming capable of bearing better fruit more fruit over the years, increasing in the knowledge of God. Then he says this, so walk, this is in verse 10, walk, bear fruit, and verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power, and verse 12, give thanks. As we walk and as we grow into into this salvation life, Paul says, 
You need to be strengthened with endurance because this walk is not going to always be easy, right? You will need to endure. There will be trials and temptations. We need, we need to recognize this, folks, that when, when stuff comes in our life, this is not surprising to God. God doesn't go, oh, goodness, he's encountering trouble. Something's wrong. No, something's right. It got difficult. Yeah, that's the point. Paul's in prison for crying out loud when he's writing this, right? It's not fun for him. And yet Paul calls them and calls us to endurance and, look at this, verse 12, no, sorry, verse 11, end of verse 11, patience with joy. Oh, there's an endurance that is not joyful. There's a patience that's not joyful, right? I'm being patient. No, you're not, right? No, no. Paul calls us to an endurance with joy. Wow, wow. That's why he calls us to be strengthened. That God will be our, our endurance and our patience when stuff gets hard on this walk, when things get hard on the road. It's the call to maturity, right? It's the call to maturity. And finally, thanks. Paul calls us to thankfulness, to follow Christ with joy, that even in the hardest of trials, even when life really goes sideways on you folks, Remember, you're a pilgrim on the road after all. The road is sometimes dangerous. All right? Your trees planted to grow in Christ, but that means going through both the winters and the springtimes of life. It doesn't mean you always go in summer. So Paul calls us to a, a deeper sense of maturity in Christ, recognizing he's, he's qualified you, he's delivered you, he's transferred you. Therefore, walk grow, be strengthened, and give thanks to God for the whole thing, because it's worth it as you follow him. That's Paul's prayer for them. And I think it's interesting that this is what he prays. When the heresy that they're facing is a sense that Christ maybe isn't enough, that Christ is kind of second place, and there's more for you to do, Paul doesn't, doesn't start, start laying into all this extra kind of stuff he just gets them back to a deeper and a richer knowledge of who Jesus is. And that's the antidote for the heresy. When the heresy comes, Paul says, I need you to reground it in Christ. That's where we go. That's where we go. He wants them deeply aware of and assured of God's salvation for them so that they can get on with living the Christian life. And folks, that is... That's my, my heart for us this morning, is that you would have a deep, deep sense that you've been qualified, you've been delivered, you've been transferred. If you're a Christian, this has happened. Therefore, you get to walk, you get to grow, and you're going to need strength along the way. You get to give thanks along the way, but I tell you, it's worth it. And if you're not a Christian this morning, and you're going, what is it all about? Hear this. Through Jesus, God wants to qualify you for salvation. He wants to deliver you out of whatever, whatever kind of place you are in your life and bring you to himself. He wants to transplant you from, from living in darkness of lies and fear and despair into a place of hope and glory and peace and truth in Jesus through your forgiveness.
That's what it's all about. This is the prayer Paul prays. May you be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You may bear fruit in every good work. You may be strengthened with all power for all endurance with patient joy. And may we give thanks to the Father who, through Christ, has qualified you, delivered you, and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom you have redemption, forgiveness of sins. I'm going to invite Pastor Velma to come and pray for us. And as she comes, uh, let's prepare our hearts to come to him today and to embrace that forgiveness that he's given us. Some of you may be feeling very disqualified, or that you, you were not transferred. You need deliverance. We're going to pray for you. As, as Velma comes and prays, she's going to pray to these things. And following the service, if you would like prayer, we would like to pray for you and with you. There will be a few of us here at the front that can do that. But Velma's going to come and lead us in prayer. Uh, the worship team's going to come and sing another song after she's done, and I'll lead us in the benediction. But if you would like prayer this morning, if you, any of these things have kind of struck a chord with you, and you just just wants, you want a traveling companion to come alongside you on the road to encourage you along the way, I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Romans, it says, while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. He didn't say, come and get everything all straight away in your life, and then I can do something for you. But while we were yet in, in the gutter, so to speak, while we were lost, while we were in sin, when there was nothing lovable about us, Jesus loved us just as we were, and he died for us. That's how much he loves us. And as we pray this morning, I know that there's there's many here, I think with each individual, there's, there's needs in your life. And uh, we have a few prayer requests people that we want to pray for. want to remember Grace Trist. want to remember Grant Anderson, Doug Finlayson, Morley Amonio, Joe Crandall. want to remember Gail. She's uh, still recovering from a sinus infection, but she said this morning that she's feeling a little better, but just not quite what she would like to but uh, I wonder, is there anybody here that you'd just like to slip up your hand and say, yes, I've got a need. I'd just like you to pray for it. You don't have to mention what it is. But uh, yes, we have hands going up all over the place. And that is, that's important. You might say, well, why wouldn't you lift my hand? Well, it's just like that saying, Lord, yes, I'm acknowledging that I have a need. And I'd like you to remember me. So uh, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful 
this morning for what you have done for us. It is nothing that we could do for ourselves, but it is what you have done for us. And we come to you just as we are. We come to you without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Lord, we think of these different prayer needs. Think of Aunt Grace. We think of Grand. We think of Doug. Good morning. Of Sister Joe and Gail. And for everyone that raised their hands and they were saying, Yes, there is a need in my life. We lift them all before you. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would stretch forth your hand and minister unto each one. May they right now have a sense of knowing that you are touching their lives. You are touching them. That you are coming alongside. That you are wrapping your arms around about them. Lord, may they sense your presence. Even those that are not here that, that we have on this little prayer list. Lord, may they have a sense of your presence right now and know that you are there with them. <coughs> we thank you for the message of the cross, the message of hope, the message of salvation. And Lord, I just pray, if there is anyone here that does not know you, that they will come to you, that they will say, Jesus, here I am. I come to you now. Come into my life. Change me. Make me your child. I want to belong to you, Lord. Father, may they, each one that may pray a prayer like that, may they have that sense of assurance in their heart to know that you have heard them. You have heard them. Bless your people today. Lord, on a, on a Thanksgiving Sunday, we just are so thankful. We are so grateful. Yes. We are so grateful for what you have, how you have blessed us. How you have blessed us. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.